0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's uh, February the 1st, 2022. Um, First shoots, perhaps, of spring, certainly on the West Coast, where I'm talking from in San Francisco. It's beginning to warm up. Uh, But as any regular viewers and listeners of the show know, America isn't warming up. It seems as cracked, as divided, as problematic place as it's ever been. Just looking at the headlines today from the New York Times, uh, apparently now uh, Trump had a role in weighing the proposals to seize the voting machines, which is Creepy news, even for people who are always creeped out by the guy. Um, Tom Brady is retiring. Some people may be pleased with that. Um, Meanwhile, there was a really moving piece in the Washington Post about how things are so tough economically for some people that even paying for a, a bus ride between somebody's home and college meant that they had to drop out of college. Race continues to make the headlines. Uh, Six historically black colleges and universities received bomb threats yesterday, according to the Washington Post. Some people are doing well in America. The big oil companies, apparently, according to the the Wall Street Journal that tends to report on these things, Exxon and Chevron hit what they call gushes of cash. I'm not sure if that's going to make everybody happy. Meanwhile, COVID continues its deadly progress. Uh, according to the journal, um, 6.8 million Americans have died since the beginning of the pandemic, which is about a million more than we would have expected. In other words, America is breaking up into pieces. It's cracked, but there may be hope. At least, according to my wonderful guest today, uh, Maeve Higgins. A lot of a lot of you will know her. Uh, she's the author of a wonderful book, Mave in America. She's a New York Times columnist, uh, and she has a new book out today. Tell everyone on this train, I love them. Um, and according to her Twitter page, um, uh, this is deeply funny, moving, <laughs> and urgent writing about a country that can feel broken into pieces and the, li- the light that shines through the cracks. Sounds like Leonard Cohen. I'm thrilled that Maeve is on the show with us today. Maeve, congratulations on the book. It is uplifting. I've been reading it all morning. It's full <laughs> of your trademark humor, wit, and uh, some some fairly hard-hitting political stuff, too. <laughs> uh, you write as an outsider, insider in America. It's a country that, that you've made your home. Um, tell me... Why you decided to come here and why you're living here right now? <laughs> that that that, yeah. of, that that question I think laces the book sometimes unspokenly. Why are you here?
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. I love how you began with the, showing those the headlines, right, and which are all true and and they do paint this kind of dark portrait of where we are at the moment. But there's all of this other stuff going on too you know on a smaller scale and um how we treat one another day to day and um and why we choose to live here you know there's so many immigrants in this country as you know uh i live in new york one in three one in three new yorkers are actually not not even born in the country so um i suppose personally i moved uh to the us because i grew up as you can hear from my accent you know i am i am French? No, I'm Irish. (laughs) I never would have guessed, maybe, especially from the name. It's a very French name, yeah? Isn't it very French? Yeah, yeah. And I think I look French, you know. Um, But uh, I always uh, had this quite romantic idea of America, you know, like this, especially as a writer, you know, like being a writer, living in in New York City. And um, I still, I've been here now for almost 10 years, and I still feel that. I think it holds up.
0: Yeah, but you, I also. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the essay in part, re, uh, the book reads, and one of the essays is particularly on, on, on America. The artwork from the book is borrowed from this artwork. I don't know which artwork came first. Uh, an opinion piece you wrote mm-hmm. last year
1: mm-hmm. about the
0: New York uh, subway, which the artwork certainly reminds me. And the artwork in the mm-hmm. book is, is, is wonderful, too. Uh, you, one, of, one of your most memorable essays is New York Fair or No Fair. Uh, you mm. begin with a quote from Marjorie Hillis. There are, of course, a hundred New Yorks, a thousand, perhaps a million. Um, and, and you write, "The attraction and revulsion I have for New York drives me mad." That's how I know I'm a New Yorker. Which is <laughs> uh, certainly when when I go to New York, which is quite often. All when, when I speak to New Yorkers, all they ever do is talk about both their love and hatred for the city, I and know. that includes my my son who lives there.
1: Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it's it's a common experience and there are millions of us, you know, and I think that especially for those of us who choose to live here, you kind of have to reckon with it every now and then, like at the moment, there's a lot of snow still on the ground. There's a big rat problem at the moment. There's like a, more rats than ever before. in. There's rats. always been a
0: rat problem, <laughs> Maeve, in New York.
1: <laughs> I know, but not as brazen as these ones are. I interviewed a man in Long Island last week who, a rat, you know, came up his toilet and, him and his son just heard like a gulping sound oh coming God. from their toilet. And um so um there's a lot to contend with, you know, um living here and and through this moment as well. And you know, that's we live in interesting times, don't we? And so it we was a real
0: certainly do, uh, it... February first, twenty twenty-two. Perhaps yep. the woman who Understood the notion of interesting times more than anyone else was the 20th century political thinker Hannah Arendt. She's very much in vogue. And you begin uh, the book with an inscription by Arendt: hmm. uh, "Love of the world." Why is it so difficult to love the world? Uh, Arendt asks. Hmm. Um, and I've been doing a little bit of research. I've always been interested in Arendt. Um, yeah, she's loving a fabulous... the world for a rent is 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 a, is a political idea. Is that why you put it at the beginning of the book?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been uh, reading her a lot over the past few years. As you said, she's quite on vogue again. Um, she's been in and out of favour, but I think she's a wonderful um, guide through what's happening today, particularly if you're interested in in migration and what it means to be a citizen. Uh, she was a stateless person and a refugee for many years. And I think that perspective, you know, taught her in the hard way Um what it means, the value of a human life versus, you know, depending on where you come from. And so when she wrote about, you know, loving the world, it's not really like a wishy-washy thing. It's a very practical day-to-day sort of action-based, like, how do you, what do you choose to look at? What do you choose to pay attention to? Um, And for me, you know, my work is writing and telling stories. So which stories do I want to tell and what do I want to talk about and think about? Her other great exhortation was to stop and think what we are doing, which is really simple, but very hard to do because we're in this continuous kind of motion um, and to stop and think what we're doing and to figure out how to love the world. Uh, I mean, you could write a million books about that, couldn't you? Um, So she's a very important thinker uh, to me. And I'm still, I have a lot more to learn about her actually. But yeah, opening my book, with a quote from her um i i hoped to kind of set the tone you know um, and you got the german it so in it difficult? as well but
0: you know when mm-hmm. you read that when i read that I thought, oh my god this is going to be a a real political philo- philosophy book but it isn't it's uh as as um your publisher suggests it's funny it's moving it's urgent but not in an Arendtian academic way how <laughs> do you balance all those things Maeve? you're uh, you know, your career as a comedian, as a podcaster, a performer, writer, novelist, and uh, not novelist, but nonfiction essayist. Um do you some does that sometimes drive you mad? Uh, you are <laughs> you writing in the book about being anxious and and having a lifetime of um issues associated with uh, with anxiety.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that's something that helps you with your anxiety or something that
1: compound
0: yeah. the anxiety the fact that you do so many different things you wear many hats
1: yeah I think it helps me actually because the through line of all of these different bits and pieces of work that I do and you mentioned you know podcasting and and writing and performing and um I mean for one thing I'm a freelancer in America at this point it's freelance <laughs> so nation you have to
0: uh, join the join the team we're all part of that right it's a country yes. of freelancers
1: yeah. So you kind of have to do a lot. But to me, the through line that bring, goes through all of my work is this um, levity that comes from being funny, which is very important to me. Being funny and making jokes and finding the humor in things is very important to me and very human. And also, you know, facing things the way they are, which is often tragic. So it's this kind of combination of tragedy and comedy um, that that kind of runs through all of my work and I think you know um the funny part is hugely important to me and mm -hmm, and I think um it's sometimes the funniness comes through in that way that's sort of like a giggle at a funeral where you just need to let something out and other times funniness is kind of a way of um being in community with other people you know it's like breaking the tension it's like sharing a laugh and it's also um It does something very human about laughing together um, that sort of uh, if you leave that out, I don't think you're being honest. So often I think, you know, you could be a writer, a serious writer, a political writer. That's wonderful. I'm all for that. But I think you're leaving something out if you don't also include um, some levity and this kind of human response we have to use humor, even if that is dark humor.
0: Yeah, certainly uh, the humor and the um, the tragedy comes through in the book. If there is someone who's going to come out of this book with a lot of egg on their face, it's the Republican pollster Frank Luntz. He was once on my show. Hmm. Hmm. Very serious guy. I don't think he appreciates either uh, humor or tragedy. Maybe we shouldn't focus specifically on Luntz. But what does he and his type of corporate republican what does he epitomize why do you pick him out in the book
1: right so i i chose him um to talk about because of something that he did he wrote a memo um back when george w bush was president about um language around um the coming climate catastrophe the climate catastrophe that's here now but this is many years ago and he suggested he's very good wordsmith i mean you said he was on your show he's rewarded all the time for you know um strategizing and using storytelling to get his way and what he did was he removed the term global warming from um politics and he put in the term climate change which we then all adopted because i guess it came from the top we started to talk about climate change which is a sort of a sanitized um way of saying what we're experiencing now right which is like Brutal fires, you know, uh deadly flooding here in New York. People died of flooding from a storm uh, just last month. And so I didn't mean to um I wasn't like going after Republicans or anything like that. I was going after really storytellers like myself and people who use language to uh to to point out we need to be careful and like we need to call things what they are and we need to see the world the way it is. And so the term climate change really has always bothered me because it didn't sound strong enough for what's happening. And then when I found out that it actually came from like this one guy in this one memo to a very powerful person, which was the president of the US, and that that's how, you know, that's why um, so much of what has happened today with the language we use. Like, I guess you talk about, you know, Climate migration, climate displacement—all of these things—and they're all so sort of sanitized and blameless. Um, and I think that's not good enough for the kind of urgency that we need to feel around it. You know,
0: right? So it's the sanitization of language. We've, we've talked quite a lot about that in the show. Mm-hmm. Arendt, of course, was interested. All well. You write mm-hmm. about the environment. It's obviously something you you care very deeply about. Uh, I'm quoting you from your essay. Uh, one of the essays. I know what it what is meant when someone is called a tree hugger. It's dismissive mm-hmm. and ridicules the person, inferring that they are ineffectual <laughs> and naive hippie. It's supposed to mean a kind of pathetic figure with an embarrassingly emotional connection to an object. Um, mm-hmm. and we've done some interesting shows uh, on the environment, uh, as everybody else has. We did the show with Lucy Jones, an English-based... Uh, uh, psychiatrist on the relationship between anxiety and the natural mm. world uh, he also did something with Kinari Webb on the need to embrace trees mm. how intimately would you connect the environmental crisis and the crisis of anxiety that seems to have mm. swept over us particularly in Covid times
1: yeah they are very connected aren't they it's quite I mean the the ultimate point being everything is right. And that's not, um, a a gray area. That's a a, a fact of physics. Yes. It's, it's maybe faith as well. We're all connected. We're all one, but that's just a a straightforward fact. Um, that like what, how we behave has consequences and then for for everybody else too. And so I suppose with, um, climate grief or climate anxiety uh it's important to point out it's for a very good reason you know um we're losing uh we're losing ecosystems and we're uh we're in a lot of trouble and we're even losing people and people are losing their homes and so um i think it's very well-founded grief and well-founded anxiety so starting from that point i suppose is important that it's not just a vibe. It's very real. Um, and so then I suppose, uh, yeah, I think that, um, the connection to nature, the very physical and sort of comical one that I found was I saw a woman hugging a tree here in Brooklyn, where I live. She had just like jumped in off the sidewalk. She was just quickly hugging a tree and then she went along. She was probably an
0: anarchist. Uh, You had an opinion piece (laughs) in the New York Times last year about life in anarchist New York when you saw a woman drinking iced coffee at 57 degrees. So that adds to the anarchism (laughs) in New York. (laughs)
1: all these i know i know all these wild things yeah um i mean i just think it it is it does go along with that is that you're hugging a tree like are you a hippie are you an anarchist like what's going on with you but actually you know there's a whole uh history of you know the Chipko movement which was real people in what is now india who would protect trees with their bodies you know, which we see happening today. There's still indigenous people in America who are putting their bodies on the line and in Canada to stop, you know, various tar sands pipelines. And so it's, um, it's again, it's one of those things that through the story of it, it has been sort of laughed at or mocked. But actually, when you look hard enough, you think, oh, wow, there's a real, like, heritage yeah, may- me- here. Right. Mm-hmm. M-
0: maybe you should call your next book uh, Tell Every Tree That I Love Them. Tell um, Every Tree. <laughs> <laughs> might uh, might be an effective title. Uh, Meg, as you suggested, you're, uh, at the beginning of this conversation, you're not from uh, the United States. You're, mm-hmm. you're French. Uh,
1: yes. Fire
0: Ireland. In all seriousness, you're obviously Irish with a name <laughs> like that. Um, you, you do a good job not bringing your Irishness to this book, but there is an element of the wisdom you derive from Ireland. Uh, you have a, a chapter called Misnitch and Rumors of War. Um, which touches on uh, um, a statue, an Irish statue. And you, I think, implicitly, sometimes even explicitly, compare the divisions in Ireland, the religious divisions, to the racial divisions in America. You bring up the Irish question and what you learned about Ireland from in, in, in the Black Lives Matter movement. What wisdom did you bring to the book from Ireland in terms of racial divisions in America and the Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter movement?
1: yeah i mean i i am definitely cautious of you know comparing the the Irish experience with the black American experience so different, so different. yeah I I'm suppose... not
0: suggesting you did, but you yeah. sort of, you you touch on it you do it in yeah. a, in a in a in a in a gentle way
1: yeah because I do I did see some echoes and and those were um I mean specifically of the statue I was in Richmond Virginia and I you know I saw the statue of Lee before it was removed when it was all graffitied and it was um they were shining like blm black lives matter lights on it and it was incredibly powerful and i spoke to people who lived in richmond and how they felt about it and what it felt like to be able to just like spray paint uh, this man who had been like over seeing the city from his perch on the horse and um and then i i thought about rumors of war which is the kindy Wheelay statue and uh Which is like a young black man on the horse and it's beautiful, it's powerful and it's in in conversation with all of the old, um, you know, Confederate monuments in the same city. And then it reminded me of this um, statue in Ireland, which is the one you just showed up on your screen, which is called Mishnach. And that is a statue of like a young, a teenage woman. Um, And she's on a horse too. And that statue has been reconstructed um, out of an older statue, which was of one of the oppressors of the Irish. And it was molded from the same... um, the same equestrian statue that this uh yeah. this by john
0: byrne who, I, who i'd never heard of before but uh, yeah, he's a wonderful is, artist but, mm-hmm. and we've done a we we actually had a show on a similar theme with the right. the american writer connor town o'neill on statues in the south and i think your section on that was was really convincing you also you had a new york times piece i actually read last year 128 tricky questions that could stand between you and U.S. citizenship. The reason I'm no U.S. citizen is because I've never taken that exam because I would <laughs> never pass it. You, you, um,
1: it's you hard. Prepare- it a lot of us hard. a lot of us wouldn't um a lot of us wouldn't ha- pass it. I mean, whenever it's writing that piece, it's it's it uh, Trump had proposed in making it even more difficult. But even at the and that did not happen, thank goodness,
0: yeah, and you write about that in the book. I, the only mm-hmm. exam I've ever taken in America was the driving test, and I got caught cheating. so I probably would get you cheated caught on cheating. your driving
1: test. What did you do?
0: I brought the book in with me. <laughs> that was in <laughs> Oakland. <laughs> But that's, I think everybody in Oakland does that. So, uh, but yeah, I would get caught cheating and get thrown out of the country. That's why I still have a green card. Oh, that's
1: so funny. I mean, yeah, like tons of people, you know, like even uh, Tommy Tuberville, that senator, he would constantly get things mixed up. Um, and you know, write
0: about that in the book about you. You didn't get Hamilton. But, you know, it doesn't really matter about the facts. You write in the book, um, I'm a person writing a nonfiction book about America for my own specific specific perspective and will no doubt grasp some things properly with a deep understanding. To to finish, uh, Maeve, because I know you've got to run Mm -hmm. off to another interview, tell me one thing that the book, um, uh, tell everyone on this train, I love them, one thing Mm -hmm. that it helped you understand about America and perhaps one thing that you still don't get that might be material for another book or another show.
1: (laughs) You know, the thing that it really made me realize is how young America is. Like the United States of America is a baby country. And it, and that's why I think there's all of these growing pains. And that's why we owe each other um, more compassion and patience, I think. Because it's such a young country and it has so much growing to do. But do and countries
0: grow like trees? I mean, does that mean that Ireland or England, because they're all countries, yeah. don't have as much growing?
1: I mean, look at Ireland. You know, a hundred years ago, we had just gotten our independence after 800 years of being colonized. You're not at the end
0: of history, Maeve. I mean, there's still many chapters to write.
1: We have lots, uh, lots and lots of room to grow. That's for sure. I mean, that is for sure. I would say the thing that still confuses me about America is like how sugar, how much sugar is in the savory food. I have a sweet tooth, but like at Thanksgiving when people are like, "Here's the potatoes," don't forget there's marshmallows in them. I I cannot get used to that.
0: Well, you read a piece in the Guardian about what people should and shouldn't say about other people's weight. So I'm not going to comment on that. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. I know I, I don't comment on pe- what people look like or anything, but sometimes when there's um when there's marshmallows in my dinner, I get really confused. <laughs>
0: yeah well I think there are marshmallows in this book tell everyone on this Aww. train I love them but a very nice kind of marshmallow um uh, it's just out today congratulations Maeve on the book I know you've got a runoff is there Thank another book you. that you would suggest to our viewers um that they might read alongside yours or what else are you reading these days
1: yeah so um as a fun um as a really fun book I have just read um Olga dies dreaming. It's a novel and it's said. Never heard of it. Who's it by? Uh, Zachila Gonzalez I think her name is and it's so funny and it's already been made into a tv show even though it only just came out and it's about a wedding planner in Brooklyn and it's all about Puerto Rico and their history as a colony of the United States and um it all it does the same thing as me I hope in that it's sad and it's funny um and it's uh and it's like a character that you can relate to who I hope um I hope that that happens in my book too
0: Well, it certainly did for me. Uh, Maeve Higgins' new book, Uh, Tell Everyone on This Train I Love Them, is out today. It's a must-read for anyone who cares about America. Maeve, congratulations.
1: Thanks for having me. We need more books
0: like this from you (laughs) with beautiful artwork. Keep well. Good luck on the book. And we'll talk again in a not-too-distant future. Hug a tree. Goodbye.
1: Hug a tree. (laughs) Bye. Bye.